0: Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here are your hosts, Asha Davis, strategy director, and Rob Schwartz, CEO of TVWA Day New
1: York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guests today are Mara Leidy and Naomi Hirabayashi, and they are the founders of the popular app Shine. So, Mara, Naomi, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast.
2: Thanks for having us. We're we're both really excited to be here.
1: Fantastic. All right. Well, Mara, tell us about Shine.
2: Yeah. So, Shine is on a mission to make caring for your mental and emotional health just easier, and, and we do that by making it more inclusive and representative than it's ever been.
1: Interesting. So, and it's an app, right?
2: It's an app, yep. And, you know, it's one of those things that... We're an app and a company, we have all these services, but the core is the platform is our app. And we very much started the company because of our own experience of just not seeing ourselves represented in this category of mental health. Myself as a black woman, Naomi as half Japanese woman. And I think we're lucky enough to find one another and realize that we struggled with a lot of the same things, but those things weren't necessarily being talked about in the public forum. So our app has daily meditation meets podcasts we call it called the Daily Shine that is recorded fresh every day it's responsive to what's happening in the world so Everything from the election to uprising for racial justice to COVID, every day when you listen to the Shine app, you're going to hear something that's responsive to what's happening in the world. It's going to help you get grounded and get centered and just really representative. So it over-represents the most marginalized communities. And we say it's by us for everyone because we know that if we can have creators and really highlight talent from the most marginalized communities that it makes everyone more informed and more educated and kind of lifts us all up. Yeah, we've been around for almost five years, and last year we're just named Best of 2020 by Apple, which is pretty cool.
1: Uh-huh. All right, hold on, We we, <laughs> we have to we have to pause for a second. There's a lot to there's a lot to unpack now. But before I, I turn it over to my partner Asha here, uh, we were chatting before you guys came on, and it was just kind of an interesting realization that you know you guys position yourselves as you know a meditation app for people of color. And I was just saying to Asha, I said, isn't it weird? Like, wasn't like meditation and yoga invented by people of color?
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting too, even this movement for self-care goes back to the Black Panthers and um, the civil rights movement, really seeing uh, self-care and mental health as an act of resistance against an oppressive society. And then to your point, Rob, it's meditation and you can go much farther back to all kinds of spirituality. It's really, it was really started by communities of color. And so when we think about the opportunity we have, it's how do we both like translate stuff that's been around for a long time. Even when we first started, when we started reaching out and working with different psychologists, they were like, yes, we need something that takes these terms and these tools and solutions that have been often just kind of put into a box and not made mainstream. We We need to brand that and make it easier. So not just meditation, but how are you really taking care of your entire self mentally and emotionally? And then, yeah, how do we bring the color back into it? Like, how do we just like... It's funny. I remember when we first started, we had a black woman on our website. It was like a stock photo. And we got emails from people that were like, hey, just, you know, just wondering, is this only for women? Is this only for people of color? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, again, care so much about inclusivity and representation, but um, we really are for everyone. And I think that just the idea that representation sometimes makes folks think that it's only for a specific group is something that we want to help, like, unnormalize. We, we really want to make it so that it's just normal to hear from, like, Black women in your meditation
0: and you can be any any background and really not only enjoy that, but get a lot of value from it. Yeah, Naomi, that is so interesting because nobody would ask the same question if it was a slim white woman on there. Right. Obviously, women of color are also accustomed to not seeing ourselves represented in the wellness industry as much. And it's so interesting that, you know, to even hear the reaction that the minute that you put a Black woman in that image, it's like, is it only for Black people? That is truly interesting that you guys sort of uh, experience that.
3: Yeah, I think just to build on what Mara was saying, part of why we're very thankful for the opportunity to do what we're doing, to educate people on What does it mean when we say representative and inclusive? And as Mara so wonderfully said, it means by us, for all of us. But the bias is really key because we are going to just naturally have, you know, 80% of our team is BIPOC, for example. When we're talking about different experiences, we're pulling from our own experiences. Mara as, you know, a, a black woman in America, myself as a half Japanese woman, and we believe that in bringing more marginalized stories to the forefront, bringing more stories of color and experiences to the forefront in a mainstream massive company, there's the direct care that that provides to the people who have always felt um, otherized or maybe on the outside of consideration, and it will also educate more people on the importance of intersectionality. So, yeah, it's it's been um, it's been a powerful almost five years um, we, we started yeah. in 2016 as Mara mentioned and obviously so much of what we've done has been completely intersected with a lot of the the cultural and political
1: um pain just one one piece to underscore here I mean you, you when you guys say mainstream you're not kidding you, like you have four million folks who download this right
3: yeah we um our reach is over four million we're in 189 countries wow. and our belief is that we, we started this because we were fueled by our frustration. There was nothing that was just talking about mental health in the ways that we talk about mental health, which is not here. Let me talk to you about my mental health issue. It's, ah, oh, gosh, that meeting was really tough. I feel like my manager is, is labeling me in a certain way and unable to see my full self and I'm having trouble, you know, navigating that stress. What feedback do you have for me more on how I can like speak to my needs and speak to my power in a really meaningful way. So when you're solving for a need that's just not being addressed, the opportunity is massive. And again, just really grateful that we were not only able to start Shine, but start Shine when we did, because the need has only increased, obviously, in the recent years.
1: Well, I think you, you guys, you know, showing up as you are was something that was attractive to us, you know, because we've got mugs and T-shirts to live up to. You know, we need to find disruptors. And uh, were you feeling as you looked at what was going on, and this was, you know, our observation, you know, there's kind of this like white yoga mom industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And like, that's sort of like what this thing is. And I mean, like, did you just kind of see that and go, wow, there's this existing big thing. Can we break this in some way and break it for all the right reasons? Yes. I think, here.
3: um, Whatever your journey is in taking care of yourself, it's like, do you? Because, because um, you need to, first and foremost, you know your life, your situation, it's all different. What we were really bothered by was that taking care of your mental health and being well was sold as a commodity and sold as a luxury. And that is wrong. It's limiting. It's offensive. It leaves out the daily struggle of so many people's experiences of, I'm trying to Make rent, take care of my family, deal with a toxic boss at work, deal with my own trauma. And I'm trying to show up every day and get through it. And the idea of wellness is this luxury lifestyle that is only given to few just creates more struggle, honestly. Because if you don't look like that, if you're not that size, if you don't have that disposable income, if you can't go to that place, then you're on the outside. And so much of what we struggle with is, is feeling alone, feeling alone in what we're struggling with. So Mara, let me know if you want to add, but I would say, yeah, definitely. And we were also honestly just confused. We're like, why is nobody talking about how you take care of yourself in a way that is, is human and normal and conversational in the way that we talk about it, right? And I, I think that's where the best ideas come from, especially for consumer companies, is you're confused or frustrated by how something is being solved. It's either limited, it's, it's uh, tone deaf, whatever it is, and you figure out a way to, to solve, solve it based on immediate needs or experiences. And then obviously, as we grow as a company, pulling in those collective needs and experiences. But it's been so limited for far too long, and we really see this, this new era as is, is accessible self-care. Talking about how we take care of ourselves and our mental health in a way that is accessible. And so we're just, we're just proud that our community validated what, what we thought was the right direction and um, have been able to build alongside of them the last four years.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Naomi, the best disruptors, the best disruptions, the best ideas, are usually so freaking obvious. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's like, uh, how come
3: nobody's approaching mental health for all humans? Which is why we need representation in positions of influence and power and change. Absolutely, you're so right, Asha. Because it's like it was so up. I feel like once we did it, everyone was, you know, very excited to see it. But look, the, the VC space is obviously. Suffers from a representation problem, and so it's starting to change. But we need to see more change because there are so many obvious solutions that are being left on the table because people with the best ideas, built from their own experience, do not have access to capital or opportunity in the same way that other people do.
2: Mm. Mm. It made me think of when I first met Naomi, and I was I, don't know, I was like a few years behind her, mid twenties or something. Naomi had just turned thirty, and you know when you're like. Coming up on the cusp of 30, you look at anybody else, you're like, this is where I need to be by 30. And she was a CMO and just all around badass. Like everybody wanted her in every meeting. She elevated everything she touched and also was like very giving and warm and loving. And I remember going to lunch with her and being kind of nervous because I had just started And just you know, wanting to like learn a little bit more about you, Naomi. And um, she just was so normal. She like spilled coffee on her shirt. Yeah, no, I think I paid my rent. I just I, I don't I don't think I did. Um and so there was just something to that that I remember just like kind of broke this assumption that I had around what does success look like. And so I think when you when you talk about the yoga kind of white woman in the forest playing the flute, you know, doing producing. <laughs> um we also think about that in leadership too and just how it just normal it is like when we were when we were fundraising and that's a whole other story but fundraising on the side of a full time job, taking phone calls in ATM banks, like running late, sweating, you know, just trying to do all the things, like, to, to us, that's the moment to take care of yourself. That's wellness. It's, it's five minutes when you're, like, walking on the streets of New York City and, like, just stepped in dog shit and you just, like, need to take a beat and you, like, go to a corner and you just take a minute for yourself. It's not, oh my god, I can't wait to go to that, like, one-month silent retreat, But again, if you can do that and you want to do that, great, but that's not the only way it manifests in day-to-day life. So, I think just the idea of just more accessible examples um, like kamala uh during uh yesterday's event um she like had a moment where she was coming down the stairs and she she tripped a little bit and i have to say that i, I like i just it, it was such a small thing and she smiled it was such a small thing and it's not that we should you know need to see you know everyone's flaws all the time but she just seems like a human to me you know and there's that element of just like just seeing people be real that is a part of
0: this whole conversation of representation that we're excited we're excited to, to represent yeah and and just for our listeners, you know, we're actually recording this episode the day after the 2021 inauguration of Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Curious, just for your thoughts, Mara and Naomi, in terms of what that means in terms of having, you know, our first woman, uh, our first woman of color, our first black woman, our first Asian American woman vice president. And and what do you think that uh, impact has on on mental health, especially for people of color?
2: So it's it's a big question. I think we can say over and over again, representation matters. We can scream it from the top of our lungs and we have been for a very long time. (laughs) But... You feel it. You feel it come to life in your day to day when you are the only in a room, whether that's the only Muslim person, the only person of color, the only queer person. You feel a sense of isolation that's not siloed from the rest of your, you know, what you're doing in that room, right? If you're there to give a a presentation at a board meeting and the board just doesn't look at all like you. For us, if you're pitching investors who not only do we not look like most 90% of the investors that we've pitched when fundraising, Closer to 98, actually, I would say. But we don't look like their daughters or their wives either, which is sometimes an in that you can get as a white woman where you're like, at least I get, you know, like it's not a great thing, but, you know, you'll hear from investors like, oh, yeah, let me have my wife check this out or my daughter check this out. And so at every level, you know, those are just a couple of examples. But at every level, when you aren't represented, there are real systemic barriers that you face in society every single day, high level and acute. And so I'm sure you all have seen those, those just beautiful photos of Kamala and on, on TV at the inauguration or you know, giving a speech throughout the day and just little, little kids in front of her watching that TV. And one of the reasons that is so powerful isn't just because it's, it's like, oh, she looks like me and I can see that and I can relate, but it's possibility. It's opportunity. It's I could be that. I could do that. It is normalizing right? It's normalizing a certain standard that we haven't seen normalized, unfortunately, to date. So there's such a longer answer and probably another podcast recording to be done on just this topic. But I think for me personally, as a woman of color and a biracial woman of color, it's just so powerful to see someone and to know that, you know, my daughter will come into a world that is full of a lot more possibilities than it was two days ago.
0: That's beautiful. I definitely completely understand. You know, I'm also a a biracial woman of color, actually a very similar mix to our new vice president, uh, half Jamaican and half South Asian. So, you know, I definitely hear you when you say, you know, the fact that something like that would be even possible, at least for me, it's almost like, especially after the last four years in America, it just, it feels good in in a way.
1: And I'm feeling good too, because I'm just like uh, the vice president's husband, I'm just a schleppy Jewish guy. <laughs> we love
2: us a first gentleman. We love, I love
1: we love it. I know. In my family, he's the same, he's the second gentleman, but the first Jew. <laughs>
0: Okay. So just to jump in a a bit more with you guys, you know, you you did an interview with Forbes, uh, among many others, and you, you really outlined that your goal was to make daily well-being more accessible. Tell us a bit more about what you mean by that and accessibility.
2: Yeah, I think when Naomi and I first started the company, it was after four, three or four years of working together at a nonprofit in the city. And we had very quickly bonded. We'd come together and said like, There's so much that we have in common both in like our past. Trauma, that our backgrounds we got deep at a staff retreat and but also in just how do we navigate the day-to-day and we found this just incredible support system within one another where from um you know you're not alone I've been there before I know somebody who has and give each other tactical ways to navigate whatever that emotional topic was and so we saw a like, beauty in that and I think also being from I'm from Georgia Naomi's from Virginia we were in this like Really cool, exciting environment in New York City. Um, but you know, we have little sisters and family members that like didn't have that. They didn't have somebody they could go and talk to that kind of felt like what we would call this like aspirational peer. And not only was there not that, but there was all this stuff that was still around from this like self-help era, like the eighties and nineties. Like you they come we kind of just translated it digitally, but you still had the like the top down gurus and the like more of a focus on physical health and mental and emotional health, or you have a lot of books and people would have to we had friends in our lives that would be like, oh, yeah, I just got the new XYZ book. You know, Shonda Rhimes wrote a beautiful book here. Yes. And I took it and I translated into a vision board and, you know, I'm journaling every day. So it was either really manual and you had to kind of figure out how to make it a daily ritual yourself. It was top down or it just wasn't inclusive. We think of the, the companies of the world that just they do still offer that idea of wellness and that aspiration of well-being. But you just have to pay $150 a month, you know, to access it. And so we said, why don't we take... The beauty of our relationship and what we've been able to give each other, our background in tech, and we specifically focused on messaging and how to really build a relationship, specifically with young people at the nonprofit that we worked at, and combine it and really offer something that just makes it more accessible for you to check in with yourself. So a daily, simple check-in. We called it the Daily Shine It started as a daily text. The daily text went to 50 people. And it was a side hustle. And very, very quickly, that grew from 50 to 3000 people without even having a website. And so we knew that there was something there. And um, it really all gets to just like, how can you meet people where they are and provide something that's accessible to their day to day
0: that's fascinating. To have something grow like that organically is not something that you commonly see. So to me, that really demonstrates how big of a need there was for people to have those sort of daily affirmations, if you will, and some ability to your point, check in with yourself so that, you know, you can shine. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, that is a, a truly beautiful thing, I think. And really. Even when you think about, you know, even in our daily lives, when you just send a random text to a friend or a family member to say, you know, I'm thinking about you, you know, you're doing great. Oftentimes the reaction of the response of how much they'll be like, wow, I just needed to hear that. You wouldn't even know, you know, and it's so it's so interesting that, you know, you guys basically created a tool for people to be able
3: to give themselves that in some capacity. That's right. I was just going to say the self-monitoring. You know, there's the community that we build, the team members, the family, whatever it may be, but so often just the the ability to self-monitor for ourselves and use the tools to help us do that, you know, because it can be so easy to forget.
1: So, you know, my idea of mental health, I just ate, you know, five graham crackers before mm-hmm. our call. I was feeling a little bit stressed, but I'm calm now. So how does it work? I mean, like, just kind of walk us through. You, you get the app, you know, the uh, Apple App Store and then what happens
2: yeah so shine is really built just in terms of big picture mental health how, how does it work um built within the act framework so um or act rather and so act is um really the, the latest way of psychology and it's focused on how can i accept where i am today and focus on the future so as opposed to maybe like digging into all the stuff in the past or even like analyzing my habits it's really just about focusing on the future and doing that through these small committed actions so as I mentioned, we started as a text message and a few years ago really created the mobile app to provide more of a robust experience. And the app, if you go to the App Store or Google Play, you can download it. It will ask you what's your first committed action, basically. So we call it an intention. Um, so that could be anything from, I just really want to practice more gratitude this week. I want to be better at like seeing myself and like seeing you know, my worth this week. And then what we'll do is we will give you a daily recommended self-care ritual that's just for you so something that is specific to you a daily meditation you'll get daily check-ins where you can check in on your mood and how you're feeling and then each week we'll check in on that intention specifically and give you feedback and get a sense of how it's going and the goal is to facilitate a level of both Accountability—that's a big part of this conversation of of mental health and self-care that's often not talked about. People want to be checked in with. I think you mentioned this often as well. Like when you get that text from a friend or you get something from somebody, it's not just that I bought a book and then I just forgot to read the rest of it and nothing happened. It's that I committed to something. I said I wanted to really focus on this. So just to how's it going is incredibly impactful. So that's kind of the core experience. And then, as I mentioned, the daily shine is the free component. So that's the free almost podcast. And that's where, you know, today we're reflecting on, for example, the inauguration and while we can be really excited and hopeful, just how it feels to come out of a place of being so uncertain for so long on top of the pandemic. So users can access that content
0: for free on top of the more personalized premium experience. And Mara, you just mentioned the pandemic. And I'm curious because obviously, you know, that was a significant, shift in terms of how people were thinking about their mental health and the importance. It really forced people to sort of look within, especially when you can't go all die, right? <laughs> and so, and so I, I, I'm, I'm interested because, you know, by the time 2020 came around, you guys had been in business for about four years or so, curious to understand sort of what is the most powerful thing you guys learned as a result of 2020 and the ongoing pandemic?
3: Yeah, the year of 2020 was significant for so many reasons, you know that we that we all know. I think with mental health specifically, the biggest change that we saw happen was a destigmatization of mental health. And the the two biggest forms of stigma are social and then the self-stigma. Self-stigma is that that feeling that we all get right when we're struggling and there's shame or insecurity and you're you're keeping it in. Um and then the social stigma is the fear of isolation that comes from speaking out or the way that you know we see mental health people struggling with mental health perceived in mainstream media whatever it may be because of 2020 there was multiple pandemics right there was the pandemic itself and then what that highlighted about in so many ways the two americas that you know people may experience from economic crisis health access caretaking and this summer, the really the fight for racial justice that has been going on for so long, obviously, but the focus and the elevation kind of on the main stage of we have to talk and address and speak to what's happening in our country in terms of this systemic racism. And when you pull all of those threads, so you know everyone has their own personal experience to a multitude of those things, maybe to one of those things, the um, severity and the impact obviously has a spectrum of experiences. But the unifier was, was pain and it was grief and everybody was struggling from something this last year. And we actually heard from our community that one of the first changes that even, even before um, the summer, just, just in April, is that people were talking about their mental health more than they were before the pandemic with other people. And the single biggest reason why was I know that other people are suffering too. So that social isolation or or stigmatization, and then also just the self of feeling like, oh, is this weird? Or am I I not right? Or should I just be stronger? That was all thrown out the door. People were just like, I need to talk about what I'm going through. And then in the fight for racial justice, the importance of intersectional mental health, understanding that people will be experiencing mental health issues at a different rate because of their experience. And so, you know, as we ended out this year, one of the biggest things that we reflected on through our community really was, okay, now in a mainstream way, we are more comfortable talking about our mental health. Michelle Obama talking about her low-grade depression, Chrissy Teigen talking about her grief after losing a child, Meghan Markle talking really openly about not being okay. I mean, we are a celebrity-driven culture and people who are in these versions of success that we so attain to get to are just saying like, hey, I struggle too. So when we started in 2016, like Mar mentioned, I mean, we had to do so much education around... Both the opportunity for a better solution, a more inclusive solution, a more conversational solution, and also the opportunity and the need for a more representative and inclusive company and brand and product and team that speaks to mental health in the way that we experience it, which is a diversity of experiences. So that energy, I think, is what we're pulling into this new year, knowing that, you know, honoring the pain that that came from. And focusing for us as a company on how we can address those issues now that people and us as a culture are a lot more primed to say like, okay, I think I need help. I think I need to talk to someone about what I'm experiencing.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense, especially even going back to what Mara was saying in terms of the approach to psychology that Shine sort of focuses on with that ACT uh, sort of principle, right, where you kind of assess where you're at and figure out how to move forward versus sort of really trying to dwell and dig deep, you know, into the past, respecting, you know, that the past is there and it's important, but, you know, how are we gonna shine, you know, as, as we continue to move forward? I think that that's so true, That that's really powerful. And I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, last summer and, and all of the obviously racial upheaval and, and everything that went on, you know, we're coming up to Black History Month again, and, you know, this is where we're gonna start seeing, people say black people matter again, you know, we get like, you know, a month, a year, and maybe if something else happens, you know, I'm curious, because, you know, you do say sort of it's by us and for everyone, but particularly, you know, people of color, particularly black people of color, why do you think it's so important to specifically focus on them? You know, so for example, you guys just recently launched a free category just for black well being, you know, why are you putting so much emphasis on that?
2: I think that it's like, where do, where do I start? I, I appreciate that you bring up that Black History Month is coming up because I think that there's, it's going to be really interesting to see how brands respond to this month. And I think on the consumer end, I think there's a lot of like already like pent up fear of you know how am I going to be tokenized and what is this going to look like in the workplace? What are they going to ask me to do or say or write? And so I think it's a really timely moment to talk about the intersection of being Black in America and mental health. We know that just even today, research shows that Black Americans are 20% more likely to have serious psychological distress compared to our white counterparts. And also those feelings last longer of hopelessness, sadness, worthlessness we have our own mental health disorders. There's something called racial bowel fatigue that speaks to the physiological manifestation of dealing with microaggressions every day and kind of just what our body holds every day. And the list goes on and on just in terms of the, not only the disparity that we see in terms of the symptoms and the issues, but in terms of the solutions. So just a couple of years ago, the American Psychological Association only had 5% of its members that were Black. And so if you think about access to things like therapy, which we are huge proponents of, and we think are really important in terms of the overall mix of a person's mental health support. There's a lack of resources and a lack of cultural competency. To give you an example of cultural competency and how that comes into play, there's a lot of, I would say some research, rather not a lot, that has been done on even things like language. So Black women, I know even my own family refer to anxiety is nerves sometimes, right? Like, oh, my nerves are bad, or you're getting on my nerves. And they might not say like, I have anxiety, like this is something I have diagnosed for myself. And so there's some new research coming out around how to bridge the gap with some cultural competency. But at the end of the day, if you have more providers and you have have more content that look like the people and represent the people that they're serving, There will need to be less education on how to translate cross-culturally and build that cultural competency. So those are a few of the reasons it matters on top of just generational trauma and the trauma that our bodies carry. You know, my cells were in my grandmother's body, my great-grandmother's body, and that looks very different for me and my family with our history in America dating back to slavery. And then in terms of the solution and the opportunity, I think that we and so many companies have, Ethel's Club is another company that we're a huge fan of, to just provide a solution that is more representative and inclusive. You know, we've always had content specific to black well-being, whether that's around, you know, a meditation for wash day to speaking specifically to voting or to specific microaggressions that you might experience. We've always had this content that's been intersectional. But all we did this past year is just package it differently and make it more overt and more clear for people. I think one of the biggest learnings Naomi and I have had is that when we first started the company, even though we knew the power of representation, that we had it in our content, we didn't put ourselves on the website. We really didn't put ourselves anywhere in terms of like advertising or anything like that. And we said, you know, we want to be the book and not the movie. We want you to be able to see yourself as the voice of shine. And while I I still like, I love that sentiment. What we realized this past year was even just putting our faces on the website and being just much more overt and explicit about our story, about the representation we already had in our app, where 90% of our content is voiced and created by Black women. It led to this reaction from not only our own community, but incredible growth outside of our community from people that were saying, finally, something that feels authentic, that was created authentically and isn't just pandering to this moment. Because as you mentioned, Asha, there's a lot of skepticism about this moment. So we're, we're really proud to be a representative tool. And actually, you know, we, we have over 4 million users in our community, as we mentioned, but we over-index for pretty much every marginalized group. So we have two times the national average of Black women represented in our community, for example. And all of that matters. It matters because if we can get access to mental health solutions that are more representative and inclusive, we feel less alone. We feel less stigmatized, we're able to then move forward and work on our mental health. And then for people that aren't a part of those more marginalized communities, whether that's non-black BIPOC or white folks, we're able to learn and, and again, like educate and really advocate for those more marginalized communities in the content. So imagine if you were going to you know, a meditation, a live meditation, and somebody was speaking about something that wasn't your experience, but you were learning as you were working on your own mental health. The beauty of that, it's like, it's so, so powerful. And it's possible to do that in a really meaningful way at scale. And honestly, what we believe is if you're not doing it at this point, if you're still that like whatever, you know, meditation app or, or, you know, wellness website, and you're just, you have one voice or you have one perspective that you're speaking to, and that perspective is Probably from the majority, you're just going to get left behind because consumers just we're just not putting up with it anymore. Not just Black consumers and not just BIPOC consumers, but allies and consumers across the board are ready and looking for solutions that are more inclusive and representative.
0: That is so important, and I think it's it's relevance, it's accessibility. But it, I can connect with it. It's relevant to me, right? I, I think is is something really powerful with what you guys are doing here. You know, Mar, to go back to something you said a few questions ago, you you kind of glossed over it where you had um a section in the site to talk about kind of the 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 mental well-being around wash day you know some of our listeners who are not black women might not even know what wash day is literally as a black woman the day that you're washing your hair at home that's a whole day exercise just Mm -hmm. to like wash your hair get it together and it Sometimes you're halfway through and you're like, I, I, my arms are tired. Like I don't want to do this anymore. You know what I mean? Especially during the pandemic, where you could not go to the hair salon. You know, what I mean? like, you know and it, to your point, like something that's so small, but then you know, a platform that is in 189 countries has 4 million, you know, users would understand the drama of wash day. You know, it 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 means something, right? It, it's 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 really important. You guys just recently actually launched Shine as an employee perk. And it's it's interesting, you know, because obviously there's a lot of business folks that listen to our podcast and and curious from you guys as to why you think this is important for uh, companies to be caring about the mental health uh,
3: of their teams. Yeah, so when you just start with the, okay, how does mental health impact business? And actually Aetna's done a lot of great work to kind of like shore up a lot of this research around an investment in understanding what is, what does mental health do for work or for the bottom line, you could say, if you're in charge of employee benefits and trying to understand how to make tough budget decisions. So just starting with productivity, more than 60% of workers say their mental health affects their productivity, which makes sense when you actually think about how, you know, having a tough day, your inability maybe to bounce back from something, it really can take a toll on how you're able to perform at work. And in 2019, the World Health Organization estimated the cost of that. So the cost of depression and anxiety actually costs the global economy one trillion dollars per year in lost productivity. So if you just want to start there. The reason that you should invest in you know, your team's mental health is because it's good for the team members and it's good for the business and, and obviously helps with retention and just being an overall great place to work. If you zero in on 2020, where we've seen an influx of inbound interest in, okay, I love Shine, I've heard about it, either I use it or someone on our team uses it, we want to bring it to basically to, to our workplace as a benefit. One of the biggest reasons is that people are, for all the reasons that we've talked about, are looking for more inclusive and representative solutions. There's more education and more awareness now on why inclusion matters and the impact of we know what what it means we talk about intersectional mental health but unfortunately a lot of the barriers that of access which is why we started shine are still very much in place from like a health insurance perspective so things like medical insurance is not preventative it's designed to be a crisis response so how are we proactively taking care of our team members the metal obviously health insurance is so important it's a human right Let's look at preventative solutions that, well, that will actually help more people have the tools. So either if they get in that crisis situation, they have the tools to do that, we're actually preventing them from getting into that crisis situation. And then as Mara mentioned, so many of the solutions out there for mental health are so lacking in representation. So knowing that you know very few people are going to actually get access to a person that has maybe their experience is, is one of the big reasons that people are saying, hey, Shine, we want to work with you. And then I think the other thing, just like taking a step back, the millennials workforce is obviously the greatest share of the workforce. Mental health matters to us. We have more emotional literacy than previous generations because it's less taboo. We understand and are kind of doing the work to figure ourselves out. And so we can make that connection and we expect employers to do the same. If you want to invest in my professional growth, if you want to invest in my career path here, I want to make sure that you're taking care not just of my (laughs) Wi-Fi, but also how I'm able to show up. And then um, knowing that for so many people, remote work is is now their reality. You know, the ping pong tables, free lunches, maybe different benefits that certain people are able to get. That's just not relevant. And it just just seems off now, right? If you believe my mental health matters, which you're probably communicating, you know, as, as a leadership company, show me by making sure I have the support and benefits through the tools that really see me and serve me.
0: That that's so important, and, and thank you so much for that. You guys have have talked throughout the course of this interview about some key moments in your journey and kind of what sparked you guys to create Shine, and you know the, just a couple more things that that we want to sort of pick apart with you guys. You know, in terms of you know we know Mara and Naomi, you both have mentioned, for example, some of the difficulties that you went through, especially at the beginning in terms of starting the business. A lot of the VC folks don't necessarily look like you, even from a gender perspective, much less, you know, ethnicity, right? In terms of raising capital, getting this business to the place that it was, looking at kind of the growth that you've been able to see through sort of a relatively sort of short amount of time, if you will. Curious to just sort of hear you guys quickly, just take us a little bit through uh, that process.
2: Yeah. So we started the company in 2016 officially. According to LegalZoom, which was, you know, our first lawyer was a website. And as I mentioned before, I think we are, as two women of color in this space, there are I would say just, there's just more risk aversion to starting companies. For us we hadn't we didn't have a ton of like entrepreneurial friends. Certainly entrepreneurial people that would like to start companies, but didn't necessarily have people that were connected in the space. My background was in social media and tech. Naomi's was in marketing and intersection social media as well. And so we had some connections I think just overall in New York, but you know, we're working at a nonprofit at the time and found ourselves in this place where we felt like we had a really unique solution to a problem that we experienced. Again, the product was this really simple thing that started as a daily text message sent to 50 people in our network. They very quickly referred other people to the same text message. It was literally a sure There wasn't even a website and grew to thousands of users within a matter of months. And so it was around December before 2016 that Naomi and I had a very New York stoop moment where we were on a lunch break and we were sitting there and saying, getting ready to go on the holiday break and basically said like, this is it, like we got to call it because we know we had had the same conversation on that stoop a month or two before that, that was like, this product and, you know, idea is really cool, but just so you know, I don't have a nest egg I'm sitting on. So I just want to be clear. And we both kind of had the same reaction. It's like, well, I don't either. I'm in debt. You know, we had that, that same moment of like, just to be clear, like these are my options. These are my limitations in terms of financial risk that I could take. And what was so beautiful about the last stoop conversation we had was, We thought a lot about that. We thought a lot about the risk that we would be taking by starting a company. And where we landed was that we had been through really hard things before in our life. We had gotten creative about how to make money. We both had worked in the service industry, waitressing, dishwashing, babysitting, all the things, and had also built really great careers in New York over the time that we had been there so far. So We ultimately said, this this is just, it's bigger than us and it's worth us taking this risk and it's going to keep growing beyond us. So the question is, do we chase it or not? We decided to do that and then came back from the holiday break, gave our company a very polite three months notice, which I wouldn't recommend, it's a long period of time, (laughs) but I think the benefit was that the three months notice gave us time to fundraise on the side. So we took Fridays off and we just started to meet with VCs. We got introductions through friends of friends of friends and started to meet with venture capitalists and, and start to pitch our company. Our first meeting was with Daniel Galati from Comcast Ventures and you know you'll never forget people like this but he saw us very early on and said, I'm, I'm interested, I want to be involved, like come back to me um, when you've got a little bit more traction and him and I would say Victoria Song at Flybridge and Nahal met at ENIAC they were a few key folks who unlocked our seed round and it was a very unsexy process again of us kind of running around the city and again taking phone calls in ATM banks, people would call us and they'd be like can you step into your office? I like, of course we can and we would run downstairs to the <laughs> ATM bank and pull up the pitch deck on our computer. Um, And it was, it was so scrappy and it was so humbling. I'm really glad that we had that process, but I would say that was the first of four rounds that we raised. And it's in some ways gotten easier each round and in other ways gotten harder. It's always harder to ask, you know, to get more money, but in the ways that it's gotten easier, You know, it's it's just, it's very difficult to break into this space if you haven't started a company before, if you haven't been to business school, and if you don't have the right connections. I'm doing air quotes. We had to do a lot of failing up as well. So we didn't know the jargon. When people said friends and family around, we were like, who is that? Like, what is the friends and family? Can I get that friends and family? Like, how do I access that? We asked one of our first advisors, like, do angel investors want equity? Or are they just nice? Are they angel? Like, what's the deal? And so little things like that all the way to, you know, there's a certain lingo and like game you have to play to create FOMO when you're fundraising. And I remember we had investors say like, who else are you talking to? And now we know it's like, oh, you know, the usual suspects or some, you know, bullshit, and like that. But we were like, we can send you our spreadsheet.
0: You know, we were happy to follow up with the list who we were talking to. <laughs> we didn't know. There was you, no- you, I feel like you guys are giving away some hidden gems over here. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't even know if you're supposed to be saying all this, Mara. <laughs> I mean, now we can teach
2: a class because it's like it, our goal is to just take the secrets and like pass them back, you know, because yeah. It's almost like the, you know, it is the financial industry, but just there's so much that's meant to kind of keep people out and so much we had to fail up and learn about across fundraising to the actual term sheets to the negotiation. Yeah. And I think there's the bias that, that comes into that as well. Some of the first questions we got from investors were things like, tell me about your parents. Which, wow. you know, I was like, you want to know? <laughs> I'll tell you about my parents. But it's like, what they didn't want to know is like my family history. What they wanted to know is where they went to school. They wanted to know like what businesses they had started. Maybe they wanted the like cliche, they wanted the like immigrant story, the like yeah. the bootstrapping story, right? And I think there's a whole range of, of kind of bias that goes into this process when, again, not only do you not look like the people on the other side of the table, but you haven't, we hadn't gone through the same kind of processes and systems to be preened to have the same jargon and anywhere close to the same power dynamic. So that's what I would say has gotten easier. It's not necessarily that there isn't still a power imbalance in fundraising because there, there always is, especially if you are a woman, person of color, queer person, et cetera, if you're not basically like a white male that went to Harvard. So that, that exists. And that's unfortunately, there's a lot of work to be done on the representation side. But the best advice that I try to give to other people that are trying to break into the space who have those same barriers is just to know your power. Like none of this industry works if we don't right? Like if we don't bring new ideas to the forefront, if we don't like take our heart and put it on the table and and risk it and, you know, have those difficult conversations and get that difficult feedback, it's just going to be pizza delivery apps. It's the same people coming with the same ideas. And so the beauty and the power of people who have experienced something that is specific to them coming in and solving a solution that's specific to them. And, you know, that hasn't been brought to the forefront in that venture capitalist, you know, meeting room there's just so much power in that and so it's it's i think easier said than done certainly but just remember your own power and remember that there is so much power in your unique approach your unique story and not only do you not have to like we we tried the shoulder pads thing we tried to fake it till we make it it doesn't work you know people were like i you know i think someone told us that like we were no travis from uber this is like pre you know, that not working out for him days, but it just doesn't work. And so it's just authenticity. And, and as much as you can, just remembering your power, I think was the biggest lesson we learned through the fundraising process.
1: Well, let me just jump in on something you were saying, which maybe Naomi, you got a response to this because you were in marketing. Uh, when you laid out the opportunity, is that why somebody bought? Like what was, was it an unmet need that all of a sudden was a revelation I mean, what do you think was the thing that said, you know what, wow, I'm in, I wanna put my money behind this thing. What do you think that was?
3: It starts with finding the right people. The overall, the industry is, I think has, again, a lot of, a lot of opportunity to, to evolve and, and definitely be less homogenous. We were really grateful that we were able to meet people either who were people of color, who were millennials, who were women, and I think that just immediately, there was a connection. But it took a lot of no's and it took a lot of meetings to get there. At the end of the day, especially in the beginning, it starts with founder market fit. Because product market fit and the opportunity, you can have your total addressable market and you can have the the decks and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if you don't have founder market fit, especially for a consumer company, it's a much higher risk. What... We've heard from our, especially our early stage investors that they saw in us were, um, I think, three key things. One, we were addressing a problem and providing a solution for something that was connected to our own experience. And you can't fake that. You just can't. Um, And you can't care about that in the same way if it's not your experience. And so that, you know, in the beginning is really what will ground you and what will continue to ground you through different stages of the company, but particularly when you, you don't have that, like, scale or the numbers approved yet. The second thing was our experience in that we were first-time founders, but we had come from an environment that was scrappy, where we had actually helped scale the organization to 5 million members in our role as CMO and director of product. And so there was experience with scale and the idea of how do you create something where you're connecting with people around issues that they care about. And then the third thing was our dynamic. This is, again, another podcast for another day, but you know we said from the beginning, we are co-founders and we are co-CEOs. And we got a lot of scrutiny, a lot of people that basically passed on, either we don't do consumer companies, that's too hard, or I'm, I don't think that's going to work for you. And if you have two co-founders in the beginning and, you know, fast forward a year, they're not in a good place, that messes with the business, right? There's a lot of money and risk and cost that comes with that. I think the partners that we have as investors and just the investment we've done in our, ourselves and our relationship and our, ultimately this all starting with a friendship has been something that's unique. We've proven people wrong. And we believe that another change that needs to happen is more space for, in a generalized sense, female-driven dynamics, which is less about ego, more about collaboration, and we are stronger with the two of us. And we always put the business first. And so I think people were able to see that early on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think a lot of folks are stronger because of the two of you, honestly. You know, I think I can speak for myself, Rob, our listeners, that just hearing you guys is so powerful. What you've created is so powerful. It is absolutely no surprise that it's taken off in the way that it has. And and I think that 2021 and beyond, Shine is going to continue to evolve and grow to something that probably we can't even imagine right now, you know? And you guys are The inspiration that you were once looking at. As you guys were thinking about, we're not seeing anything like this. Are we not humans too? How come no one cares about our well being and our mental health? You guys are doing that for folks like me. You're doing that for folks that are listening. And we are truly grateful for all of the effort that you've put in and all of the time and clear <laughs> sacrifices that you guys have made in order to make Shine exactly what it is today. You know, in terms of, you know, Mara, what you said, in terms of know your power, in terms of the advice that you would give to others, clearly you guys know your power, you know, and it's it's really exciting to see where this goes next.
2: That, that means so much, Asha. I'm gonna be s i am going to be I think we're both gonna be like sitting in that yeah. that that really it really means a lot to get that kind of feedback. Thank you.
1: Well, I think uh just what you laid out, maybe you know, shine finance. I don't know, this could be the next uh the next line extension. I mean oh, there's <laughs> no. Oh yeah. Mar, I mean Mars
3: Dad Mars Mars Dad does a lot of work with breaking the barrier to access around finance. So Mara, let's call through dad and maybe we we'll start something on the side. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: Listen, <laughs> well, guys. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. Uh, you, uh, as, as Asha said, you you really are uh, an inspiration, and we just appreciate you sharing your you know your brilliant idea and uh, sharing your story with us. So thank you.
2: Thank you both. Thanks, Rob, and yeah, just appreciate the really thoughtful, dynamic process. This was this is great for us. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's agency podcast of the year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.